0: Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, we'll be coming to you from the studios here at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. I encourage you to check both those websites out silverbirchranch.org or nicolaybibleinstitute.org. N I C O L E T Nicolay. Bible Institute, named after the Nicolay National Forest for which we're in the middle of here in northern Wisconsin. As I work with young people, I'm constantly amazed at the level of anxiety and depression and troubles that they have in their life. It seems to me that the world is in its Apex of being able to communicate with each other Information being able to fly around and get into our minds as quickly as it is created We can learn history. We can learn anything we want on YouTube and Yet we're people who seem lost Relationally we seem to be Not even close lost in a world that seems obsessed with information and never feeling like we actually know all the information. I was reading a survey that was done by the Pew Surveying Group talking about the mental health list, the concern that parents have, what what are the top struggles that they see in their families. The number one concern they have is the struggle that's apparent with anxiety or depression. Whenever I read that, my mind goes to the scriptures where it tells us to be anxious about nothing. Anxiety must be a choice. It must be a choice in how we look at the world, what we think about. It must be a choice in how we look at God, or family, or what our purpose on this world is. Anyway, 40% of the parents interviewed said that the struggle with anxiety or depression is extremely or very high. 36% said that it's somewhat high. And 23% said that anxiety and depression isn't that pressing to them. But that brings 76% of the parents that were surveyed for this are saying that anxiety and depression are something that scares them. It's very high being bullied is the next highest on the list they're afraid that their children will be bullied 35% are very ex- concerned by it where 39% are somewhat concerned by it being kidnapped or abducted is the third thing they're most concerned about 28% and 31% getting beaten up or attacked 25% say that's their highest or extremely high anxiety, and 32% are somewhat concerned. Having a problem with drugs or alcohol, extremely or very high is 23% and 30% somewhat. Getting shot, obviously by gun, 22% are very concerned about that, or 23% are somewhat concerned. Getting pregnant or getting someone pregnant as a teen, 16% are very concerned, where 30% are somewhat concerned. Getting in trouble with police is the last on the list at 14% for very high and 19% for somewhat. I really want to focus in on the struggling with anxiety or depression, though, because 75-plus percent of the parents that were surveyed are saying, this is the great concern. And I keep thinking, why would young people be struggling with anxiety? What are they looking at? What are they thinking about? Do they have no hope? Do they not know what the scriptures say? Do they not know who God is? Where are we failing as an education system in our country? Where are we failing as parents? As I go on, I read a verse in the Bible, in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When I look at this verse, I see something about Jesus. He's called a Wonderful Counselor a mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, not anxiety. I wonder if people actually knew God, if the anxiety and depression level would
1: disappear. I think that it would.
0: I can already hear people talking to me about how they're the exception and how I don't understand how the mind works and how medicine can be used and how some brains just don't, aren't wired right. And that could all be, and you could be one who fits in that category. I understand that. But I'm not talking as one who understands the medical ramifications of anxiety or depression. And I'm not going into a medical book to try and figure it out. What I'm saying is there. are Probably is a lot of anxiety and depression due to the way that we see life and think about life rather than medically induced for some reason that's beyond our control. If God is called a wonderful counselor, can I ask you, is he your wonderful counselor? Do you consider God a wonderful counselor? Or do you focus in on the internet and its advice? Do you focus in on small groups and what they say? Do you focus in on what people say and they become your counselor? And they're not that wonderful. They're actually sinful. Every human being that will ever give you advice is going to be a sinful human being because they're only sinful human beings. And if they do give you advice that's worth listening to, it's going to be from God himself from his word, because that's where the wonderful counselor really is. I heard somebody recently saying that, about another person, that they thought that everybody should have counseling, that somebody, everybody should go to counsel. And I thought everyone should go to a counselor. Do we not talk to each other in our culture anymore? When we work side by side, do we talk to the person we're working with? God's counsel will stand. He's the ultimate counselor, and everybody can talk to him. So maybe this person is right. Maybe every single person that ever lived needs to go to counseling, but they need to go to counseling with God. Isaiah 46, 9-6 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. We have to understand that God is God alone. The word holy can be translated unique in modern English, and he would be unique, 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 or holy, 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 different than anybody and everybody else. Whenever I think of God, I remind you that he has no perspective. He has no opinion. He's not waiting to try and make a consensus so he can figure out what's right or wrong. He is the one that declares what's right and wrong. No consensus needed. He's not waiting for governments to decide. He's not waiting for laws to be written. What he says is and everybody that has ever lived will find that out one day when they stand before him and he said here in Isaiah 46 my counsel shall stand and i will accomplish all my purpose he will accomplish what he set out to accomplish and whatever he says is going to work i don't know about you but i think that if i were trying to figure out how to live with in the scope of how i was created it would be wise for me to go to the Creator and yield myself to Him and become one who does what He wants me to. We don't want to think about those things because somehow we want to live our life and make ourselves important without God. But that's what Satan's trying to do. That isn't going to work. It, it didn't work for him, and it's never going to work for anybody. In fact, I was actually made to serve, not made to be served. I was made to serve God as a slave, as a servant. I'm meant to be a servant, one who chooses to be a servant of God. Now, if I understand servanthood at all, I realize that as a servant, my main concern is to serve my master and God being the good master is one that will provide for all my needs. In fact, I don't need to think about how I'm going to eat. I don't need to think about where I'm going to get my clothes from. I don't need to think about anything other than serving my master. In this day and age, we talk about servanthood as a big evil, and it is the way people do it to one another, because people are sinful. And we tend to use one another rather than love one another. However, in the context of what God's saying, if I understand the idea of servanthood to God, as I serve God, I'm in the right context of life and he will care for me and all my needs will be met beyond anything I could ever dream or imagine. Trying to not serve him doesn't make any sense. And when I have a problem, no matter what it is, he is the counselor. He is my master. He is my counselor. He knows what to say. He knows what I need to do. He knows any attitudes that are wrong in my life that need to be corrected. He knows where I am believing lies. He knows why. I think the more I age, the more I think about my life, the more I realize I don't even understand my own motives. God alone knows my mind and can counsel me. There's not a human counselor that can. If I were to come to you as a human counselor, and I'm not against the counseling profession in any way, shape, or form, I just think that counselors need to point people to God and His ways. And if I were to come to you and I have a problem, maybe I'm angry with people or bitter with people, and you don't point out the fact that I'm sinful and that really I'm told to forgive people, then you're not counseling me according to the way God would counsel me. I am not one that should be bitter towards anybody. I'm not one that should be angry towards anybody. See, God is my counselor, and his way will always stand. When I think of God, I think of some verses that talk about the idea of standing with him and being at peace. Romans 15:13 says, May the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Those who abound in hope are not people who are anxious and depressed. May the God of hope, another title for him, wonderful counselor, God of hope. May He abound, may He may He be the one who is front and center in your life. If I read that in context. It says, verse 1 in chapter 15, We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. How do you get hope? Through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures. Through endurance. What does endurance imply? That there's going to be those that are against what you're doing always. Those who continue to do what's right, no matter what it costs them, no matter How inconvenient it is. Those who continue to endure. Those who continue to focus on what the wonderful counselor says in the scriptures. Those who continue to do that. They'll be okay. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. When I talk to someone who is hopeless,
1: perhaps they've quit. Perhaps the trials in
0: life have been so much that they gave up. They no longer want to live in the middle of the trials. It's too hard. So they quit. Yet we're being told that it's through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. If you go to a counselor who's not steering you to the scriptures, I'm afraid you'll never find hope. Once again, I'm not one who is a medically certified person. So I'm not speaking to the idea of a mind that needs some kind of rewiring or adjustments or something like that. I, I don't understand that at all. I tell you what I do know, I know the one who made the mind. And if there needs to be some rewiring, God could do that. I know that if I live my life according to the way that he intends me to live, I'll be at peace. I'll be able to live where I have hope. Verse 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You know, when you look at this, what God is talking about is having us agree with him, not agree with each other. Sometimes I'm concerned with modern leadership and that they seem obsessed with trying to find consensus. We're not trying to find consensus. We're trying to find the will of God, and we do that in God's word. Galatians 6, verse 16, it says, And for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. There's a cause effect that takes place in life. If I go beat my head on a rock, I get a headache. I really don't need to go ask God to alleviate the headache. I need to quit beating my head on the rock. The Bible is very clear that if we walk in the truth, if we listen to God, if we do what's right, we'll be at peace. We'll have hope. People who live life and are at peace and have hope, they're not anxious and they're not depressed. Oh, I hope you do enjoy going and talking to somebody, but I hope you enjoy talking to God first and foremost as the wonderful counselor and know what he says. The context here, Galatians 6, 10 to 18 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Verse 11, See, with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except for in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as far as all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. It's interesting to see this final warning and benediction from the Apostle Paul here. Warning, people. There are those who would use you, not love you. There are those who actually would use you to benefit themselves. That's not love. When we're told what to do in the scriptures, we're told to love God, and we're told that loving God means obeying him, so we can understand that. We're told to love one another, not use one another. In this passage, there were people who were using others in a religious way. They were just counting numbers. They were trying to say, look, you need to be circumcised, and we need to count you, and we need to show everybody the value of our ministry because of what we're doing. That could be troublesome. There are people like Ezekiel who have listened to God, done everything God told them to do, and had no results. I hope you're not in the habit of just looking for some kind of results in order to be a part of so that you can feel good about life and be at peace with what you're doing. I hope you don't give your resources to places that keep telling you how wonderful they are and trying to prove it to you. Truth of the matter is that there's a lot of times where those who walk with God and do what's right don't experience a very nice life. Look at all the apostles. Look at Jesus himself. Look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and others. Those who actually do what they're supposed to do, it doesn't always look like they're winning. But in the end, they're going to win. Because the voice that they've listened to is the wonderful counselor. Being a Christian is not about being religious. It's not about doing a bunch of religious things. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth to die for me and for you and to take our place on that cross. And as I put my trust in what he has done for
1: me, I become a believer. I become a
0: member of God's family. That is why I'm a member of God's family, not because I go to the right church or say the right words or stand up or sit down or get circumcised or anything else. The truth is, more people listen to the wrong counselor than the wonderful counselor. And sometimes what we try and do is get to people to understand how valuable we are, so that. We can live our life in comfort. We want to use them to tell others how good we are. Well, that makes sense to a certain degree, but in reality, the only one that could ever have the label good or perfect is God. And God doesn't really need me to tell you. He could use a donkey for that or anything he wants to. But my responsibility is to push you to who he is so that you can be in the midst of the wonderful counselor. God knows everything that you and I need to do in order to enjoy and be significant in this life. We need to listen to him. Life isn't really about me using somebody else for my pleasure or me using somebody else to boast about how significant I am. Life is about showing how significant God is and how insignificant we are. Luke twenty four, thirty six says as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace to you. Can you imagine Jesus? He was crucified, he was put in a grave, he came back from the dead, and before you know it he's just showing up
1: places. People are scared.
0: They don't know what to think. You know, as I think about the miracle of Jesus, it, it isn't so much just the rising from the dead that's the miracle, although that is a huge miracle. The real miracle in my mind, as I read, I forget what author was talking about this, but the real miracle is the fact that God, the creator and sustainer
1: of all life, died. He was
0: willing to come and be born of Mary. He was willing to live his life on this earth in obscurity. He was willing to live, be misunderstood and crucified for me and for you. That was the miracle. Those who actually listen to God and go to him, the wonderful counselor, will realize that regardless of their status in life, whether they're poor or rich or whatever country they're from or whatever ethnicity they are.
1: They are loved by God. And
0: that's where their significance and their security and their peace will come from. I can understand if all of a sudden
1: there's a person who's supposed to be dead standing in your midst talking to you, that that could freak you out a bit. But Jesus told them, peace to you. You should expect
0: God to do things that are impossible because there's nothing impossible with or for God. As they were talking about these things, let me read it in context, Luke twenty-four thirty-five. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread and as they were talking about these things Jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace be to you but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit and he said to them why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts see my hands and feet That is, I myself. Touch me and see. For the Spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Jesus appeared after his death, and he startled the disciples. But if they knew he was God, and they knew the plan that he was going to die and come back from the dead, the question seems reasonable. Why are you troubled? When I look at anxiety
1: and depression, I think of the word troubled.
0: And I would come to you and say the same. Why are you troubled? Have you been going to a not-so-wonderful counselor that doesn't point you to God's Word? Have you just been going to counsel online with
1: whatever the standard of the culture is saying to you?
0: Why are you troubled? God created you while you were inside your mother's womb. Oh, maybe that's why you're troubled. You don't believe that. You believe that you're an accidental blob of protoplasm that somehow came into existence in this world. Well, see, you haven't listened to the truth because it's the truth that sets you free. It's God that gives you purpose in life. It's God that gives you significance. Take that away, and then you don't feel significant but you're trying to find a way to be significant when you've taken away the source of your significance. That doesn't work. If you're going to understand your personal significance, you're going to understand God's role in your creation because it's God who created you and gives you this significance. Ignoring him, pretending he doesn't exist, going to... And that's a not-so-wonderful counselor who points you to something else other than God is not going to work. You can take medicines, and you can try and feel better temporarily about this life on earth. But the cure is not found in medication, and the cure is not found in not-wonderful counselors. The cure to our anxiety, our lack of peace, our lack of significance, our lack of security, comes from knowing God. And I encourage you to open the Bible, to read what the Scriptures have to say, to spend your time knowing Christ and making Him known. And I will tell you that as you do that, your anxiety and your depression will start to fade away because of the wonderful Counselor that's talking to you. Once again, I do thank you for listening to the program we call Nighttime. You can share this with a friend if you'd like. It's kind of a unique program that not everybody would like to listen to. But if you know others who need a calm voice, especially in the evening as they begin to unwind, feel free to share this episode with them. God doesn't want us to be anxious. He wants us to have an abundant life. We need to go to the Wonderful Counselor to understand how to do that. Once again, I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolet Bible Institute. Good night for now.